Good morning. In these challenging days, we're constantly tempted to fall into sin and, and often do. And um, God promises us that if we confess those sins, they will be forgiven. Join me with this morning's prayer of confession. Almighty God, we confess our vulnerabilities to the temptations that come to our minds. When that carrot is dangled before us, it is very easy to strain and bite into it because of the desires of our hearts. When tempted to anger, our lashing out feels so good for the moment, but what a mess it makes. As that juicy piece of gossip comes our way, how easy it is to pass it on, but the hurtful path it leaves behind is so devastating. We admit the unhealthy things that we have fed our minds with that have led to fueling our thoughts into taking sinful actions. O oh God, we have missed the mark in doing your perfect will and acted willfully. We need your forgiveness through the blood of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome these sins and our desires that drive us away from living for you. All this we pray in the confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domination of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Guidelines for living this morning is also from Colossians 1. And you, who once were estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been preached to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's continue in our worship and let us stand as we begin to worship our God in song.
share with us about what a friend we have in Jesus? In 1845, Joseph Scriven immigrated from Ireland to the United States, possibly as a result of the potato famine that was happening at that time. Several years later, he was um, sick, and a friend came and noticed a poem he had written on the side of his, on his nightstand. He had written to his mother. We know that poem is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. For this hymn, we can look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps the main message of this hymn is found in the second verse, which says, Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The last line of the hymn is the promise. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful blessing that you have sent us, your son, into the world to save us, the sinners. And that by your cross, Lord, we can call you Father, Daddy, and that you love us so much. We thank you, God, for that. And we thank you for the home that we have in heaven because of your donation to the world. Lord, receive our donations now in gratitude for all that you've done for us, for our salvation, for the wonderful things that we have in life to share with family and friends, homes and cars and things, Lord, the money in the world do not even understand or know. Thank you, God, for being such a great God and for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen.
they are those who forever touch at the loss of a loved one and how our society has changed too, Lord, and how we've spoken to. I just ask you, Lord, that you'll be with those who still suffer the losses of their loved ones that did not make it and were killed on 9-11. I pray, Father God, that you bless Kennedy and his friends. Pray also, too, Father God, for many people that we know, Lord, that are suffering and struggling right now in their lives, have difficulties with life in general. I pray also, too, for those in our church. I think of Bill Bannister, and we think of Evelyn, and we pray also, too, for Lucia and Karen and Kay. We pray for them as they struggle and joy. Father God, too, um, for this country, and we pray for our leaders that you'll give them wisdom and insight into the difficulties that we all experience that this country is sharing right now. We pray for them to have minds that will look on what is right in your eyes, Lord, and not in their eyes. We pray also, too, Father God, we thank you, Father, for the freedoms that we have that we sometimes take so for granted. We pray also, too, for those who are struggling with addiction. We think of Ryan and with Jordan and David and Eric, for Vicki and for Mitch. These who we continue to pray about, that you love, that are concerned about, Lord, that are allowing <clears throat> that substance to control their lives, Lord, and dealing with the monkey of addiction. We pray also, too, Father God, for those who we know that are suffering with health issues. I think especially of um, Nick Lord, be with him. I pray also too for Marcia Lord and for also uh, for Officer Lump, who right now is battling esophageal cancer. I just pray for him as they um, strive to give us the chemotherapy. Be with him, Lord. Pray for little Sarah Lummock, who is also battling brain cancer, Lord. We just pray that therapy that she gets can bring healing to her body. Think of my brother John, who's also getting immune therapy, and for Betty's brother-in-law, who needs to have hip surgery. I pray also, too, for Howard, and we pray also for several that have lost loved ones. I think of, um, <clears throat> especially for the uh, Ivy family, and they lost their brother, Dee, for the Cosmic family, who lost brother Dial family lost Darcy and the Pickering family who gave her funeral yesterday, little Annie Lord, and how kind she was to our church and started the Calvary Church. Pray also too, Father God, for the village Lord who now have COVID. I pray for healing for them. And also for Kurt and for his healing, Father. And Father, we bring others to you right now that we know that have struggles in their lives and ask for your uh, healing power to work in Father God, also I pray that um, you will hear, uh, Lord, as we are coming before your presence to learn from you and to try to put together life as you meant it, especially in a very confusing world 
so missing the direction that we need to be. Thank you, God, for being there and being the one who knows what we need the most. Thank you, Christ, for helping us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I putting two on this? Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> 20 years ago, a delivery truck driver was confused and lost and couldn't find in California the convention center he was to make his delivery for. So he stopped the truck and went to a gas station and asked if he could get some directions on how to find it there. And finally he found out the directions, but it was interesting that within his truck that he was delivering to the convention center was 50,000 maps of that area. It was ironic that he couldn't find the very place that he could have looked on one of those maps and found it. Thank the Lord today for GPS. Because I know I'd be lost a lot of times if I didn't have my smartphone with me, which is smarter than me, of course. But GPS is also helps us to locate. And today the Word of God speaks to us because it is the guide that we need. It's the map we need to read. But it also gives us, the Word of God gives us um, an understanding that it's by the Holy Spirit that we can truly understand what it says and what it has to give to us. Without the Holy Spirit, sometimes we can easily get lost and easily misinterpret it. But today we're connected by the Holy Spirit and by the power of God. And there's so many times that we see so many misinterpretations, people striving to even make their sin okay. The Bible here speaks to us today, and the Apostle Paul helps in a very society that was very sick, a society that had was very immoral, and yet it would not change. And even when Paul spent a year and a half preaching there, helping people out of their sinfulness and to Christ, they still struggled. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians really as the second letter, the first letter that he wrote, and he says in chapter 5 that he wrote a letter earlier to try to clean up the, the acts of these folks that are in Corinthian church. And if you know about Corinth, you know, we know that the, the Aphrodite temple was there and that a lot of prostitutes from the temple went down and earned their wares and that they could go and have fun with the prostitutes. But Paul is trying to get that changed because they have Christ in them now. And so he writes 2 Corinthians, which is really our 1 Corinthians, if you want to say it that way. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he deals with several other issues that they've dealt with in the past that they continue to bring over from their old life and that he says they're not good. And the first thing he deals with is the lawsuits. In Athens, lawsuits were at a plethrum, and the Greeks loved to sue one another. It was almost as if it was a game. And the apostle Paul realized and got word that lawsuits were happening among the Christians in that congregation that should never be. Their hearts have been changed by Jesus Christ and they should have a love for one another. But that wasn't happening. They were starting to sue one another. And so here the Apostle Paul speaks to us, and in America today, for instance, that we have in the United States 200,000 civil lawsuits um, in the federal courts alone. This is not counting the county lawsuits that go on in our America or in Sedgwick County. And so Paul presents to them the reason why they shouldn't be suing each other as Christians. Look what he says. Does any one of you 
when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. For do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more in matters of this life? So if you are law courts dealing with the matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to you to your shame. Is it so that there are, is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brothers go to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have a lawsuit with one another. Why do you rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wronged and defrauded. You do this even to your own brothers. Now the Apostle Paul is speaking about four testimony that the believers are showing. They are showing that they're bringing before secular law courts because they're not getting along with brothers and sisters in the church and he said this should never be. Number one, it's affecting your testimony. If we are truly Christians and we love Jesus Christ, we should be able to resolve these matters in, in situations and problems that we have with other Christians. Second, he says the congregation has failed to show itself to be the full position of Christ. You and I, he says, as Christians, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you got a new authority in your life. What's that new authority? Your authority is, number one, you will judge the world and you will take part in the participation of judging the world. That's one thing you will do in heaven. Another thing, you will judge angels. Now, if that is not a powerful position, I don't know what is. But what he's saying, the tragedy is, these lawsuits that you're having with one another should not be and should be easy to resolve as brothers and sisters in Christ, because Christ's love should be effectuating you. Either that or you're not Christians, he said. And the third tragedy is, is the members serving each other are losing the battle. If you hurt your brother and they hurt you, you should be able to reconcile that and don't lose the precious witness that you have to the world, Paul is saying. And that and nobody wins. But what has happened instead that we're having all these kinds of lawsuits. You see it in the church. We saw it with the, the pastors of, of churches who were trying to leave the Presbyterian church, who were suing the Presbyterian church because the Presbyterian church will not let them leave the denomination without with, with their land. And so it became a huge battle. Millions of dollars were spent that could have been spent on missionaries and the gospel of Jesus Christ instead were spent in the law courts of our land. And notice what he says, he rebukes these believers because he doesn't say to them that the legal system is bad. In fact, the legal system that we have in this country was set up and from uh, all intents and purposes out of the law of Moses. So the law system is not the problem, he's saying. He's saying that too, the unbelievers are not unfair. The system has been built so it can be fair and that it can reach. But Paul is also saying that they're not corrupt. He's not saying that these systems are corrupt. What he's saying, though, as Christians, we shouldn't go to court against one another. And the reason is because we're losing honor. 
The glory of the Lord is tarnished because Christians can't get along. You tell me that two people who claim to love Jesus Christ and have a Savior in their heart, that they can't get along and resolve a situation? Paul was saying it's ridiculous. You're a mockery to, the, uh, to God before the world. And you need to change that. And he says you will judge angels. You'll judge the world. You're losing your authority when you do that. You're taken away from what you deserve in heaven because what you are doing here on earth. And you should be able to resolve it. Notice what he also says. We're mistreating a believer. And that there are times that if we do get mistreated, he says, why don't you surrender your rights just so you can honor the Lord and that you will, will speak to them in love and care the way he commands us to do it. And that when we surrender our rights, we truly show that we are dead to the world and that we love Christ. And then he goes and says what we should do is follow Jesus' path. That we should seek reconciliation. Jesus' pattern came to us in Matthew chapter 18, did it not? Jesus said first you go to the person personally. And you try to resolve it. And if they don't want to resolve it, then you go and grab a friend or two, other believers... And you sit down with them and talk together with that person and resolve the issues that you have. And if they still refuse to listen and they don't have the spirit of God in them and they're rebelling against and hurting you, then you bring it before the church and let the church decide it. I can remember we had a situation here uh, not too long ago, um, a couple of years now I guess it is, but it would happened over between supposedly two believers over in Panera Bread Store. And one person threatened the person to kill him. And I got a call from a detective, and these are the people that I were having coffee with in the morning, and, and, and here this one guy threatened this other guy for this joke he pulled. And, I, and, the, and the detective was like, I have to investigate this, but he thought it was a joke. And here's this ungodly detective who was saying to me that it's a joke that this whole thing has gone out, but he was responsible to deal with this and talk to me. And finally, I called uh, my friend and Gene Carlson, who was also at Pathways, um, uh, and, and now he's gone to be with the Lord, but Gene and, and I got together to talk about how we can help us, because we knew these people. And so we finally had this book that I had run into, and he knew about it too, and we called this retired judge, in Kansas City, who came down his own time and his own dime to help us resolve this because he has this book that he wrote about Christians resolving matters in the love of Jesus Christ by Christian arbitration. And so he came down and Gene and I were there and, and we worked through this with these two sides of people who were at first very belligerent and they weren't acting like Christ and we had to call them out of because they were not acting as Christians. And then finally we were able to resolve that they could shake each other's hand and let the matter go. And, and the detective was very grateful for the work that we had done on that. But you see, when two people refuse in Jesus Christ, how can they refuse if they love each other in the Lord and not work out their issues? Either that or somebody's not acting like a Christian. And this is what Paul's been and anger was about and how he was talking about how the world was in that situation and how we as Christians should be able to work out and resolve our differences as Christians. But then also too Paul deals with 
the law. One of the things he wants people to know that they don't have to live in the past and live in their sin, but they can be free. There's a passage that's a beautiful passage because Paul tells us some beautiful things here. Notice what he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's not an exhaustive list, but it's quite a list. And he says here then to these Corinthians, such were some of you. You used to be there. That was you. You were involved in that. But what a wonderful thing he says that the release that we can give of the hope of that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of such worry, it was past tense. And then he says, but you were, look at what he said the Lord did for us. He washed us. And that you were sanctified. And you were justified in the same Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Now this list he gives is stuff that was going on. He talks about blanket immorality that was going on. He was talking about idolaters who were giving themselves to other things rather than to God. I mean, how much idolatry do we see every day? Materialism in our society is an idolatry. All those kinds of things. And there's also people who give themselves to other religions that don't have the saving work that Jesus Christ had. He also talks about adulterers who break the marriage vow, and that they don't realize that in the Old Testament it was penalty was murder was was killing them, whereas in the New Testament it was not. And then he talks about the transgenders or the male prostitutes, and then he talks about homosexual offenders. And those are who are doing, uh, having uh, relations with each other. And let me tell you, people say, well, Paul, you know, he's talking In that day, out of the 15 emperors that were in Rome and in, in charge of time, 14 of them, 14 of them were homosexuals. And even one castrated a young boy so he could call him his wife and was having a pedophile relationship with him. And this is how bad it was morally. And then he goes on and talks about thieves, people that were stealing and cheating from others. And then he's talking about greedy people who were just wanted more and more. That's all they worried about. And then he talks about drunkards, and we can throw in there today, people who are dealing Oxycontin. And tragically right now, the Narcan, uh, and some of it, it's not even working anymore because there's another drug that's been added that cancels out the Narcan that can save people who are dealing fentanyl. And it's scary because it's a, a, a drug that they use for uh, horses and whatnot. And then we also have, he talks about drunkards and he talks about slanderers, people who use their mouths that speak down people and try to pull down their, their value in the community and verbally abuse people. And then he talks about swindlers. These guys who are running flim pan operations are saying that, you know, your daughter's locked in a, a prison over in Europe, and if you don't send $5,000 right now, she's not going to get out. All those kinds of things. And Paul speaks here and he says to us, these are, sin, these are the sins that are going on. And folks, let's face it, it's common today. Things are going on in our world, the social sins, 
It all has to do with self-gratification and self-indulgence. And Paul deals with this, and he speaks with this. And he tragically tells us the truth of that. If you're active in this stuff, the Bible says, do not be deceived, do not inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't pull any punches here. But he says, there are those of you who used to do these things. And here's the hope. Here's the great hope. You don't have to be there anymore. Because what did Jesus Christ do? He washed you. He sanctified you. He called you a saint. And then he also says that you were justified, declared not guilty before Almighty God. Now we have some in our society and even in the church. I know a very conservative theologian who himself is a homosexual. And yet he claims that it's the orientation that he feels. Well, there's a lot of people who feel things, but it doesn't make them right for them doing it. For instance, a person who's a serial murderer and feels very good about killing people, we can't allow that to happen. We can't allow pedophiles to take care of nursery schools because they feel that that's what their natural bent is. It's wrong. And we protect our society from that. And here the Bible says that you don't have to be there anymore. You don't have to be. And that, that natural bent doesn't work. And that we can be free if we want. It will be a challenge, but in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, you can get freedom. Even if your disposition is some. I know guys who have dispositions to be serial adulterers. But because they came to Christ, they never do that anymore. Even if they get the thought in their head, they don't do it because they love Jesus and they know it would be dishonoring to him. And they remain faithful in their marriages. Because Jesus, when he came upon the woman at the well who had been married several times, and was not even with the man at that point, what did she, he say to her? He said she was forgiven, but go and sin no more. And this is the large picture. That we have here. We think of in our society that we live in right now, pornea, which is pornography, and how many billions of dollars every year is made. And a lot of those people who are watching, in fact, they've suggested that 75% of the men in congregations are watching this stuff at times. And here the Bible says you don't have to be there anymore. Jesus has set you free. And you need to keep your focus on Jesus Christ. See, it's a sin against others. Adultery is a sin against others. Being unfaithful to a spouse. It's a sin that hurts. The Bible here speaks to us and lifts up to us these moral problems. And yet he loves us. And we need to admit that we need Jesus. The person who struggles with these things needs Jesus and his washing. And that <clears throat> we may feel that way. But we can't, and we know the power of God can give us the victory over that if we're willing to do that. See, the Bible here then speaks very plainly to us that there's a freedom there. I have cousins who are involved in that lifestyle. We love them. We want them to know we leave out our hand to them that they don't have to be in that lifestyle. They can be free. And God will free them up. And you see, 
these social sins affect the community. It affects the family. It affects the way God puts together. And it's tragic that they don't know that they can have the freedom that they might trust Christ. We had six homosexuals in our congregation in our previous church. And out of those six, all six finally came out of that lifestyle. They had friendships. They had people who loved them. And one even got married that we know of and has lived marriage for 35 years now in love with his wife. One went back because the pull of that whole community of, uh, were pulling them back in and, and, and they couldn't let go because that, that feeling that they had from them was so important. But that's not only all the stories. You think about it today, how tragic it is that we minimize sin in our society. We're not helping these folks. We're not helping our children. The Bible says here, flee fornication. And what's amazing to me is that people have feel that that's not as important. It is important. We minimize fornication, which is having sexual relationship before marriage. Instead, we make it nice. He said, making love or that going all the way or sleeping together or having an affair, or premarital sex, or trying it out. All these soften and take away the bite that it says it's sin. This is why we need to stand lovingly to help those who are broken by this lifestyle. The Bible says marriage is an honorable estate. And it's instituted by God. There's people who say, well, Jesus never talked about this. Yes, he did. If you believe that Jesus is the God of the Bible and he's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he said it back in Leviticus. He spoke about it when he spoke and they asked him about marriage. And what did Jesus say to that? Jesus said that he went back to Genesis chapter 2 and he says, marriage is between a man and a woman. You see, the Bible is very clear about many of the things. And we're all sinners, folks. We all have our backgrounds, but yet the Bible here says to us, to the pedophile who loves children, to the necrophile who loves the dead, for the bestiality who loves animals, pornography, homosexuality, all of those things. He says, but some were you, and now you are set free. And there are people who all can be set free through Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's message. God created sex to be pleasurable between a man and a woman who are married and committed to one another, but not for these aggressive relationships. It's breaking apart. 82% of those who in traditional marriage last for at least eight years, 60% in opposite sex couples, 20% in same sex couples that have one year anniversary. The demographics are tremendous here, folks. There's so much there that can learn, and yet it still continues on, and it's not total, folks. And it's really breaking people who are involved in those lifestyles. In fact, it's very tragic, and yet our world likes to promote anything that's deviant from God. Even shows like Blue Blood, and make people, oh, they're prudes. 
Oh, they're homophobic. Oh, they're bigots. You know, it's interesting that there are times, too, that you will be persecuted for your view as a Christian about sex. David Platt in Counterculture speaks about the issues that we will face socially because of that. But folks, think about John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist lose his head? He lost his head because he said, stood up against the marriage that the king heard Antipias had, that was with his brother's wife. And John the Baptist told the truth. And this woman by the name of Herodias heard about it and she was after his head and guess what she got? She got John the Baptist's head because he spoke the truth against the king. And sometimes we will be having trials and be told a lot of things because we stand for the truth. Because there's different kinds of people who hear this message. I know people who are going to be hear this message from my Lord. There's some who are cultural elites. We have them in our culture today. And they consider us as basically not with the times that we're out of it. We're following this Jesus guy or Christian ethics. And these social engineers want to eliminate Christianity's ethics. They think they know better than God. There are those who are strugglers, who fight against same-sex attraction. We need to be sympathetic with these folks. There are also those who fight against and are mistreated by the church, and we need to confess when we've mistreated those who believe in homosexuality or transgender, and we shouldn't be making jokes of them. And then there's those who are shady as Christians. Some are even willing to talk about. But we need to be straightforward and honest and loving, folks. Not be belligerent, not hateful, but love. Our society has changed greatly, folks. Seven out of ten people today, adults, say same-sex attraction and marriages are fine. From 16% in 1988 to over 55% today, Chick-fil-A has paid the price in some university campuses by being kicked out. And we need to hold true to God's word. And we need to love those who are struggling with this. We see it every day. We don't bother sinners. We're sinners too. We sin every day. But we can't cave to sin. And that we need to model what Jesus has done. Jesus spoke the full grace and truth that we're gracious and loving in presenting the truth of the gospel and the truth. We're not going to convert people out of this lifestyle. Jesus does that, but we need to lead them to Jesus and help them see what Jesus has to say in the scriptures. And the key is that if we disagree with someone's lifestyle, some people think we're fearful. And we're homophobic. No, we're not. We've got to love those folks. They're made in the image of God. They need our help in seeing them. And we also need to help them show them the means which they can get help. And that we can 
that some of them think, well, just because we disagree with them, we must not like them or love them, and we hate them. No, that's not true. We love them more because we in the church who believe what the scriptures say, we want to show them the truth. And that's what we do. I mean, we all disagree over some things, but we still, my wife and I disagree over a few things. We still love each other. And the thing is, is not, and, and that the world wants us to say, no, we don't have any rights. We just do whatever the world says. That's not true. The Bible specifically speaks about these things, and we need to hold down the truth in a very loving and understanding way. Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, how destructive this can be to people's lives and to a culture with these dishonorable passions. And what he speaks here to us is that we are to lift up the truth and love. And all of us are sinners, Paul says in Romans. But we also need to help people see where they can find the joy and the light of Jesus Christ. That's the crucial part. And that they see what Romans 11 says. Such were some of you. There's a way out. And that God wants to give you the way out. And that you can be washed by his blood. Completely sanctified, full saints of God. And be justified to stand and go to heaven forever. And it comes with serious change. Living Christ. And having him come and take over control of our hearts. And real change is possible. The question is, does a person want it? Real change is available. Like I said, we saw six beautiful young people who came to Christ and changed their lifestyle. And how what God healing did in their lives, many of them had struggles from the past that they hadn't been able to sort out. And God gave them that freedom. And God gave them the ability to see when they have tempted in that way how they can gain victory over, just like any other person who's tempted with a sin. And you see, Paul then comes back to us. And he says to us, you know why that all is? He says it's because of the Lord. Look what he says. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The food is for the stomach, the stomach for food, but God will take away, will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he's raised us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ, and shall I take away... Um, the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute, may it never be. But do you not know that you are joined himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For as he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is in spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. But do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, Paul gives some tremendous insights that God has inspired him to see. Notice number one, he says there, all things are permissible. 
We can do a lot of things that God gives us the opportunity to do. But not all things are going to profit us. He says, well, all things are lawful, but guess what? We don't want to be mastered by it. One of the reasons why I do not drink alcohol is because my most family sides are out there are alcoholics all throughout. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad had to quit school when he was in eighth grade in order to provide for his family and became a teetotaler because of that. Went into the army and went over and served in Europe at 16 years old and sent his check back to his mom so they could support the family. And one of the reasons why I know because I have addictive personality. And I realize that I can drink. Nothing wrong, the Bible doesn't say, the Bible says drunkenness is wrong, but I can drink. But I realized that I could easily get caught up into an addiction with it. And so therefore, I realized that it's not lawful for me. It's too much of a risk to take. And Paul says, that's what you do. You have any issue that you have a gray issue on that you're wondering whether or not you should do, ask yourself that. Ah, all things are lawful. Yes, I can buy a bigger house or a nicer car. But will I become a slave to the payments of it? Will it master me? You see, Paul gives us this wonderful insight on those gray areas. Then also he talks about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that we're to be chaste in our lives. And to keep them for our marriage, which is the honorable state that God presented us with. And that we are joined with our wife and to make one flesh to not only to bring unity into our relationship, but also to bring children into the world. And so he says we're united with Christ. And that we don't bring anything outside that is wrong into that relationship. Because the two are to be one flesh. And that we're joined in our spirit. And he says, flee immorality. Don't let any of this become a part of you. And that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a sacred vessel for which he dwells inside of you. And that he says you've been bought by a price, the most precious price in all the world and in eternity is Jesus Christ. And so he says glorify God with your body. And that you remember that you stand for what God says is true about our bodies and about our souls and about our lives and our lifestyle. And that we remember we need to stand for these things as Christians. We once were in the mindset we could do all this stuff. But when we were bought by Christ, we took under a new master, Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. And we want to live in his righteous place and stand before him. And his glorious majesty is washed from the blood of Christ. That we're sanctified in him and that we stand justified as if we had not sinned because he's washed us clean. And that we let people know that. That we're not worried about what the world thinks of us if we stand alone about our convictions in Jesus Christ. And that we realize, in the ultimate end, we stand before an audience of one which is Almighty God. 
There was a father who went to his son who was 13 years old at the junior high. It was parents who were invited to come and share and preview the new sexual education classes and unit that they were going to share with their students. A couple of gym teachers, a couple of nurses. They were gathered with this hundred parents who came to hear about what was going to be taught to their children. They went through the curriculum, and at the end, this father raises his hand. And he says, why is not abstinence taught? It's missing in the materials. And one of the gym teachers kind of laughed. He was shocked, the father, by the reaction, not only of the gym teacher, but even the parents as if to suggest that abstinence had no merit in the curriculum. And one guy, a father, said, you got your head buried in the sand, buddy. But he stood firm. He said, why isn't abstinence taught? It's a surefire way that they don't get sexual diseases or get pregnant. Why haven't they taught that? And why are you not going to teach that? But as the crowds became more hostile to the Father, and the mocks came, he realized that he wasn't winning the argument. The teacher wasn't even supportive of him. And they finally, one of the teachers said, well, we're here just to teach the facts. But it's the parents' turn to teach the morals. And the father responded, you're teaching morals here by not putting abstinence in the curriculum. You're already teaching them that it's not a valuable thing. But the mock still came. And then finally, the meeting ended. But that parent's so frustrated that the next morning he got on the phone and found three Christian schools. And immediately he went to them to find out what they were teaching before he took his child to that school and took on another job so that he could pay for his child's Christian education. Tragic. And folks, that's who we are. Don't ever be afraid to stand for what you believe in Jesus Christ. Because it's his eternal word. And no matter what committees and what community organizations pull together and say this, or how educated they are, or how they're Harvard, Yale, or whatever, God's word does not change. It just continues to love people who are caught in this lifestyle. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you today for these folks who love you, who have been washed in your blood who have been sanctified by your calling us saints and making us righteous and that you justify us through Christ and declare us not guilty before the throne of judgment. I pray for those that we love that are around us who don't understand this and their eyes are covered by blindness 
in darkness. That Jesus, you'll send your Holy Spirit to take away those blinders and that we can gently and full of grace share the truth and love them to a saving relationship with you and your freely in their lives of sin. In Jesus' name I pray this. Please rise for the benediction. Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever.